Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hello, welcome to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond. And this is that hour that every day we get to spend together and try and understand how God might be speaking to us, how he might be leading in our lives. And uh, we do that with the help of different spiritual directors every day here on The Inner Life. Now, as we begin the hour today, have you gone camping at all this year yet? Um, I used to go camping a lot more when I was a teenager and in my 20s. Don't do it quite as much anymore. But part of that going camping, sitting around the campfire, especially at night, right? And what do we do around a campfire? Well, you can roast some hot dogs or marshmallows, but then there's always telling ghost stories. Did you ever do that as a kid, especially? Some scary tales, you and your friends, or maybe you and your family, you would tell each other, try and spook each other. We always seem to love scary stories. (laughs) That's why horror movies are so popular. Vampires, zombies, ghosts, these creatures that might get us. And while you're sitting there by the campfire listening to the scary story, you find yourself getting a little on edge, just a little scared of what might lurk out in the dark, away from the light and the warmth of the fire. Have you ever stopped to consider why you, why I, why all of us as humans, we are actually frightened of a ghost or a dead person. In the beginning of his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis addresses this question. And he says to imagine being told that there was a tiger in the room next to you. You would probably feel fear from the danger that you know is present with a large, wild, predatory animal that's close by you. But if you were told that a ghost was in the next room and you believed that it really was, you might have what we call fear by name, but it wouldn't be based on the knowledge of danger like the fear you'd have with that tiger. No, the fear that you would have with the ghost would be more associated with feelings of dread or feelings of awe mixed together. And C.S. Lewis, he goes on to show that in ancient literature, ancient writings, this fear, this dread, this awe, for the dead or for the spirit realm. It extends back as far as we can tell. It's an experience as old as humanity itself. But then Lewis, he asks that question of why. It makes sense for humans, for you and I, people, to be scared of things that we can see, that we can experience in the world around us. If you know, based on past observation, that part of the regular behavior of a tiger is to kill and eat people, then you, being a people, a person, if you don't want to die, 
but at the, at the claws of a tiger, you should avoid being in close proximity to that tiger, at least one that's not, you know, in a cage or tied up or whatever. But then why are we as humans scared of the dead? Because if we look at it purely through experience and observation of the natural world around us, C.S. Lewis points out that of all the people that we might encounter, a dead person would surely be the least dangerous person. They have no ability to do anything to us. But we naturally have this fear, this dread of the dead. And so C.S. Lewis, he says, it really comes down to two possible views. And he writes, quote, either it is a mere twist in the mind, the human mind, corresponding to nothing objective and serving no biological function, yet showing no tendency to disappear from that mind at its fullest development in a poet, a philosopher, or a saint, or else it is a direct experience of the really supernatural to which the name Revelation might properly be given. And I love how C.S. Lewis, he'll take this kind of approach to so many things about the faith, to examine all of the details, all of the information, and then arrive at the logical conclusion of only maybe two or three possible options when you have looked at all of the data. And so with our fear of ghosts or our fear of the dead, the options are either, as Lewis lays it out, it's either we made it up based on nothing objective, or it really is based on something supernatural, some sort of revelation that we all have received within us. So if that gives us some insight into the question of why we have that fear or that dread when it comes to death, the dead, spirits, ghosts, whatever it may be. Well, the next question is, what do we do with this information? What can help us make sense of the fear, make sense of that initial revelation that we each have internally? And of course, this is where we believe that the church can help us. It can provide some of those answers. And even better than just giving answers, when we look at the answers that the church gives us, then death isn't something to fear. We can actually look forward to our being with Christ in heaven. So today, we want to look at what the church calls the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And hopefully by having a better understanding of these things, we can leave some of our fear or our dread behind us and have hope in what awaits us if we are united to Christ. And I'm very glad to welcome to the program for this conversation today, Father Joseph Johnson. Father Johnson is a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, and he's the pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Uh, Father, it's always great to talk with you. Welcome back to The Inner Life. Thanks. Good to be with you. Yes, and so here we are uh, <laughs> talking about that fear of whether it's uh, encountering death uh, in our lives or our own death that is, I, I mean, we're guaranteed at some point we will die. So we, you know, everything that we have in our faith, it looks beyond this life. And when we start talking about death, there might be some people that think, well, this is a bit morbid that we want to look ahead, that we want to be prepared for death, we want to examine death, you know, whenever it might come for us. But it really isn't morbidity. It's not some fascination with death for us as Christians. 
it is actually having this hope to eventually be united with Christ, to be more fully alive in him than we really ever could be here on earth. No, and that's that's the beauty of it, seeing life as a journey. You know, you started with that simple statement, you know, we're all going to die. But I think too many people forget that, you know, intentionally forget it, that, that we, we try to put that out of our minds, uh, that we, we and, and the way that, at least in modern Western societies, you know, the way that we treat the sick, the way that we treat the elderly, you know, they're, they're out of sight. They're in nursing homes and things like that. Too often, even before COVID made it difficult to visit them, uh, people just wouldn't visit them, and they would just kind of waste away there. But, you know, in, in other societies and in earlier times in our own society, you know, elderly people and the sick were right there in your home with you, and it brought that reality. You couldn't escape it. That, that we're on a journey, and this journey leads, you know, inevitably to death, you know, and through death, that's where the question mark is, what, you know, what happens next, but, but you don't even get to that in a society that is, is so, uh, you know, adamantly trying to avoid recognizing the basic fact that we all are going to die, and we put our faith in technology, you know, and my friends who are doctors you know, they, they're, they'll say, you know, people say, well, you, you've got to do something about this doctor. You know, well, there's only so much medicine can do. You know, the, the best chemicals, the best technological advances in surgery, the best training for the doctors themselves, the brightest doctors who go into the field, there's still only so much they can do. And, and that's, that's where we're not used to that. Uh, we're supposed to be able to solve problems. We're supposed to fix things that go wrong. And the body has only so much in it. Uh, it can't go on uh, without end. And, and that's, that's where we have to then confront this. Uh, but sometimes even when I've been summoned to the hospital to anoint someone who's dying, I always want to tell the person, even if the person is unconscious, you know, hearing is always uh, active. They tell us it's the last thing to go. So I'll, I'll speak to the person quietly in their ear and I'll tell them, you know, that I'm here and I'm here to give them the, the anointing. Uh, and, and I'll tell them, I want to help you prepare to meet Jesus. And sometimes the family get cross with me. No, no, no. We just want grandma to fade away. Like, no, we want grandma to be spiritually prepared for judgment. You know, uh, we want uh, this person who is dying to know that they are dying so that they can be spiritually prepared for what comes next. But we don't like to ask those questions uh, about what comes next. And that, unfortunately, robs us of, of the opportunity to make the dying process actually something beautiful. Uh, and And that's where... I've had the great grace to be with many people in those last hours and, and to, to lead their families in prayer and all of this. And it is, it becomes something beautiful. Not that there isn't pain at loss. Obviously, to be separated from our loved ones is going to be a painful thing. But in the midst of the tears, to recognize the beauty of going home to the Lord of, of and, a, and a person who has lived a faithful life, uh, you know, a person who has said, I want to follow Christ, 
you know, and have had integrity in the way they've been a disciple, it really is something beautiful. It is the capstone of that whole life. It's it's all those accumulated decisions to follow Christ through every every year of your life, and it all comes to fruition here. And the Lord says, "Well done, good and faithful servant. Come, you know, and be with me." Uh, and so to take away that fear and that denial, that living in, you know, I, I don't even want to think about it, and replace it with a realistic understanding of life as a journey and the beauty that death is not an end, but the threshold to eternal life. Well, as you're talking about this, too, a lot of what you're talking about, the preparing, you're talking about the person who's facing death. What have you seen that has helped those families that are they're, they're walking with that maybe elderly family member or maybe somebody who is dealing with some sort of terminal disease, some terminal di- diagnosis, the ones who will be left, what are some of the things that you've seen that has helped them to be able to prepare for that and be able to uh, have, have that peace in the midst of grief, in the midst of the sorrow at the loss of the loved one? Um, any, I guess, kind of key things you've seen in their pre- preparation for that moment? I think anything we can do to make more evident the reality of the mystical body of Christ, right? That, that you and I are part of something much bigger, and, and that, that, that the, the souls uh, of those who die, they are physically separated from us, you know, and so to our senses, they, they, we, we can't grasp them, we can't perceive them through our senses, but they are spiritually still connected to us because we're all part of the mystical body of Christ. You know, by the grace of our baptism, living in the state of grace, we are all connected. And in families that have that sense of, of, of this connection, of what it means to be baptized uh, and, and what it means to be united to Christ, it absolutely is, is a much uh, easier way of dealing with, with death because you realize this isn't an end, this isn't a, a rupture, a complete severing of the connection between us. It's a transition. And, and with those people who, who have faith, you say, okay, yes, you're going to shed tears because because of this. You know, we want to be physically present to one another as well. And even Jesus himself shed tears at the grave of his friend Lazarus, right? That, that it's not wrong to shed tears. It's not a lack of faith to shed tears. It wasn't supposed to be this way in the beginning. Uh, but that as we're we're physically separated, to get that sense of those tears should not be wishing our loved one back here to earth, our tears should be reminding, yes, this is a temporary separation, but I will someday go there, right? Not wishing that person back here, I've got to continue my journey, and I will rejoin my loved one when Christ calls me home. And that's, that's where you have to have this sense that we who live in such an affluent society, we've tried to make heaven on earth. You know, we want everything right here, right now. You guys, no, you have to have a certain detachment from this earth and realize our true home isn't here. And so instead of wishing our loved ones back here to, to keep a firm purpose 
of our intention to be with the Lord and therefore to discover all our loved ones who have gone to the Lord before us and be reunited there in his kingdom, not back down here. Today we're talking with Father Joseph Johnson, a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, discussing the four last things. Uh, that's death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And what are you doing in your own life? How ha- are, are you making sure that you are prepared when you face death, when God calls you home? Maybe you have some questions about death, about the judgment, about what happens after we die. When you think about the end of your life and your eternal destiny, destiny does it bring out some fear? Are you a little scared, a little worried, or are you hopeful and expectant? You're welcome to call in and join the program here and speak with Father Johnson at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And our email address is innerlife at relevantradio.com. Uh, Father, let's talk about the judgment. That's probably, I think... You know, when we when we look at the last two, and we'll get to them, heaven and hell. Uh, you know, we know okay, that's that's kind of this. We've got this hazy idea of what heaven might be like or what hell might be like. You know, um, there's been a lot portrayed. The judgment. Um, I, I guess maybe we could start off by what will be judged by God. What does this entail? Why are we being judged? Can you kind of walk us through initially what we should uh, understand about the judgment, at least what we know? Sure, and 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 that fear that you've mentioned, you know, let's let's acknowledge it as as first of all, fear on an emotional level. Uh, yes, there there is fear, and fear is a natural emotion, and and so it's it's not something that that we can just discount or say it shouldn't be there. Uh, that, that first of all, you know, change doesn't come easily to any of us. You know, uh, we're, we're creatures of habit. We like our routines, you know, and, and so any change can bring some anxiety and fear. And of course, death is the biggest change there is. So, so there's fear of the dying process. There's fear of what comes next. And then there's this fear of, okay, you know, judgment. And we, we, you know, we tend to go to one extreme or the other where either we're paralyzed by fear, you know, there's this dread, you know, I, I don't want to see Christ the judge, you know, I don't want, he's going to throw the book at me, right? You know, or the opposite extreme, which is much more common today in our society, which is, oh, everybody goes to heaven. There's, there's nothing to be worried about at all, right? And I think if you and I, uh, look at our current society, the way that we treat one another, there's kind of a watchword that, that's been thrown out there that, that we really would love to see, you know, be present in all of our relationships, especially our relationships with our leaders and all this, which is accountability, right? Uh, we want to hold people accountable for, for their actions. We want to hold our leaders accountable for, for governing us well. We want to hold, you know, our children accountable for, for you know, their behavior but when all of a sudden you turn that around, instead of talking about judgment, if you just replace that with the word accountability, Christ is going to hold you accountable for your behavior. Well, that sounds very reasonable, doesn't it? And yet it sounds very uncomfortable. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I want to be held accountable for my behavior, right? Uh, but accountability, we recognize it as a good concept. This is good. Living up to your responsibilities is what it is, right? And 
And that's where, as Christians, we have rights, but we also have responsibilities. We have privileges and blessings that Christ has given us, but we also have responsibilities that Christ has asked us to to uh, conform to the gospel, to, to live a life of holiness, to, to follow the commandments, to flourish in virtue, to be his light in the world and the salt of the earth. And then he's going to ask us to be accountable for that. And so that's what that judgment is. Now, talking about judgment, what we have to realize is that we all start in different places. You know, and and so each one of us, the Lord is going to judge according to our capacity. And this is where I was shocked when I read this beautiful passage from St. Therese of Lisieux, where she speaks about that she hopes as much from God's justice as from his mercy. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, Therese. You know, because uh, most of us like to think about dodging God's justice and just clinging to his mercy, what do you mean by hoping for as much from his justice? And what she's talking about is this. I'm a a little person stumbling along, you know, and God knows that. And so, so he's going to factor in my weakness into his judgment. The, the, the example I kind of use to, to, to flesh this out for people is this, you know, if, if you are, uh, you know, if you've broken your, your leg and the coach says, now I want you to run a marathon, you're like, well, I've got a broken leg. And the coach says, I don't care, run the marathon. Would, would that be just of the coach to demand of you a marathon if you have a broken leg? No, it wouldn't. So it's not the coach's mercy we need. We just simply need justice. You need to recognize the capacity of the person there. And what you and I, Josh, have to recognize is that within our own lives and those around us, there's a whole lot of brokenness. And whereas a broken bone can very often heal with proper care in six weeks, it's it's not so easy to heal the brokenness that we see uh, in our lives, uh, brokenness that comes from the wounds uh, that, that we receive in our relationships from one another, uh, wounds, scars from the toxicity of the culture around us that, that, that warps us, you know, and so some of these things handicap us. They, 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 they limit our capacity. And so there's a healing that needs to happen in order for us to be able to, to, to rise and flourish. But God takes that into account in his judgment of where we've started. We don't all start at the same place. We don't all start with everything just as it should be. You know, you, you think of, of a crack baby, you know, uh, who, who's born and uh, has all of these chemical things that are already going on in their body. And that, that kid's going to have an uphill battle, right? right? And yet the Lord is going to, to, to factor that in and not you know, look at the same way at that person's behavior as another person's behavior. And and that's just a matter of justice, even before you get to mercy. Uh, talking with Father Joseph Johnson today, and again, our phone number, if you'd like to call in and join the program, 888-914-9149. Today we're talking about the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, and how we can understand those so that we can be prepared when we face death, but also how we can help those around us as they might be 
facing their own death and, uh, you know, the way that we can prepare ourselves, prepare each other. And, of course, all of this goes back to having that hope of spending eternity in heaven with Christ, being united with Christ. And you're welcome to call in. How have you been making sure that you are prepared for facing death? Do you have questions about the judgment, about what happens after we die? Maybe you have some fear, some trepidation, some worries, um, or are you hopeful? Uh, we'd love to be able to talk with you, 888-914-9149, or our email address, life at relevantradio.com, and we'll be back in just a moment here. You're listening to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We receive hundreds of your phone calls every day, all thanks to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line. Our sponsor offers flexible life insurance and annuities. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester today, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Today, I'm talking with Father Joseph Johnson, and he's a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, the pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Today, talking about the last things, the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, and what we should know about them, how we can be prepared for when we face the end of our life here on earth so that we can be prepared to cross over that threshold that Father Johnson was talking about. And we're also welcoming you to call in if you have a question about what happens at the end of our lives, about making sure that you are prepared, or somebody else maybe that is facing death that you know, a loved one, and you would like to help them as much as you can. You're welcome to call in and speak with Father Johnson, 888-914-9149, or email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. And, Father, I just wanted to pick up briefly on what you were saying about um, the judgment, and I want to get to phone calls here pretty quickly, too, but the um, what you were saying, that we're going to be held accountable for our actions, that there is the understanding of justice along with mercy. And as you were talking about, you know, justice, that God realizes that there are certain limitations. Uh, some of us are maybe, we, we have areas that will make us, it'll be more of a struggle to do certain things in our life. And so that will be taken into account. Uh, but also, you know, there's this, this kind of <laughs> balance that we have to have, I think, as Christians, as followers of Christ, that when Jesus talks about the judgment, one of the most clear examples he gives is when he talks about the sheep and the goats and, you know, the, the people who go into eternal happiness, into heaven. They're the ones who feed the sick uh, or feed the hungry, uh, you know, take care of the sick, visit those in prison, those kinds of things. The people who don't go to heaven, who go into eternal separation from God, they're the ones who have not done these things. So there are actions, and even St. Paul himself, he talks about how we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared in advance for us. Um, that's in Ephesians chapter 2 where he writes about this. But then also having that understanding, as much as I might try and do out of love and obedience for Christ, 
there's still nothing I could ever do that could merit heaven. It's all dependent upon Christ, upon the sacrifice, the merits of Christ. And as good as I might be, it still is never going to be enough to get me into heaven. So that's where it turns to that mercy side of the judgment. You know, we've talked about justice. (laughs) The mercy is absolutely essential there. Otherwise, we have no hope of heaven. Exactly. And what we're talking about here actually goes to uh, some of the great questions of the Protestant Reformation, right? You know, that that Protestants have accused, you know, Catholics of saying, you know, faith plus good works are necessary for right. salvation. And uh, thankfully, you know, in the 1990s, uh, led by Cardinal Ratzinger, there was a joint declaration between the Catholic Church and the World Lutheran Conference about justification by faith, uh, that we, we came to some common ground on that. No, Catholics don't say that you have to do, you know, faith, have faith in Jesus plus this, plus that, plus the other. But what we do say is that faith blossoms into works. Right, and that's what the Epistle of Saint James so often reminds us of. Right, is that is that that my works aren't something extra; they're the flourishing, the flowering of faith in my life. And that's why Christ says, you know, everything's summed up in love of God and love of neighbor. Well, the commandments are love of God and love of neighbor. Right, and so so am I living that love? And that's where it gets to our our disposition when we're approaching judgment. What is it like? You know, and sometimes I'll use this image with my parishioners where I talk about, you know, I'll uh, be invited over to do a house blessing, and sometimes the family will use that as leverage on the kids to clean their rooms, right? Because part of a house blessing is you walk through every room sprinkling it with holy water. And and so uh, even though I assure the parents, don't worry, I know what family life is like, Don't I'm not going to have a white glove test to, to see if everything is neat and tidy, you know, but they'll they'll use this to kind of get the kids to finally clean up their 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 rooms, and I'll walk in the door, and one kid will be kind of sulky, like you know, it's, let's just get this over with. I had to I had to clean my room because you're coming, you know, so I did it. So here, go look. Whereas another kid will be tugging on my my arm, like come do my room first, do my my, my room first. Because that kid is so happy to show. I've I've <laughs> yeah. lived up to my responsibility. I've I've done what I'm supposed to do, and I and I want you to see it, right? And so that's where I have to ask, you know, Christians, what what kind of disposition do we have in our hearts that 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 the Lord is like, yeah, I'm doing everything you want me to do because you're gonna otherwise, you know, send a lightning bolt my way, or this, I'm eager to show you that my life is blossoming. Uh, that 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 I'm trying the best I can to live this love that you have called me to, uh, and and that that is an eagerness uh, that that sometimes uh, we find difficult uh, to discover within ourselves that eagerness to to have the Lord come and and look at us, and that's where you do come to that mercy. You know, uh, Dr. Peter Kreft, amazing uh, philosophy professor and author of dozens of books, all of them worth reading, uh, you know, he would talk to his students about, you know, if today you were to go before the Lord in judgment, what would you tell him? If he says, why should I let you into heaven? What would you tell him? And he said that his his evangelical students answered the question uh, unanimously, 
one way, and that the Catholic students, 90%, have a consensus answering it a different way. And the evangelicals answer it, you know, Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. You know, I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You know, Jesus died for my sins. And the Catholics answer it, again, by and large, 90%, I'm not a bad person. I went to Mass on Sunday. I helped a little old lady across the street. Whoa, do you see major problem here? I am, am the subject there when, when the Catholics are answering. It's about me and what I've done. Whereas the evangelicals nail it. It's about what Christ has done. And, and so even though the official teaching of the church is very clear on this, too often Catholics in everyday life make the mistake that the Protestants accuse us of, which is thinking that I can work my way to heaven. And that's why I make all of my grade school children memorize 1 John 4.10. That's the first letter of St. John, chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son as the expiation for our sins. It's about God's love for us. It's not about what I've done. And, and if we start that way in the spiritual life, with receiving God's love, it makes everything else easier to respond to God's love rather than to start from, oh, I guess I better love God more. No, feel the gratitude and the joy of being loved by God and let that prompt in you a return of love to the Lord. But it is his action that saves. And when we have that kind of attitude, even the things that we are doing, I think it changes it from, oh, look at the, the good thing I've done. And we all have to be careful of pride, of course, but it changes the attitude of, look what you've done through me. God, you've been able to use me as your servant and look at the wonderful things you've done through me. So it no longer is that, look what I've done, it's look what you've done. Uh, talking with Father Joseph Johnson here on The Inner Life today, and again, our phone number, 888-914-9149, as we're talking about the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, and we're uh, also taking your phone calls again, 888-914-9149. Father, let's go to Lorraine, who is calling in from Reno, Nevada. Hi, Lorraine. You're on the air. Good morning. Um, I have a question about what accompanies the soul when it separates from the body. My brother-in-law recently died from a catastrophic stroke. He suffered for about three months and never regained physical consciousness. But as Father said, we sensed that he could hear us. So my question is, does the intellect accompany the soul when it separates from the body? Very good question. So we, we talk about the faculties of the soul, you know, and so all the faculties of the soul would accompany the soul in that, uh, and, 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 the, and not the things of the body. So the things of the body, you know, touch and taste and smell, you know, don't, you know, accompany, uh, but but the faculties of of the soul uh, do. Uh, so uh, that's a great great insight that you have there. And again, why people talk about, uh, you know, there's this particular judgment when we die. Why is there a last judgment as well? It's because everything comes back together. 
the body and soul weren't meant to be separated. So there is this temporary separation, and, and that's what your question is about, trying to, to sort out which, which goes where, you know, how, what, what is separated that, in that way. But then to, to look at the long view to the day when it's all back together, that I, Father Joseph Johnson, I am body and soul. I'm not a soul trapped in a body. I am body and soul. And so for me to rejoice fully in heaven... It has to be all of me. I have to have my body as well as my soul to be completely uh, who God created me to be and to be able to completely rejoice in the kingdom. Uh, and so, so thank you for kind of helping us to, to bring that point out about this, this separation and then this reunion union, uh, on the last day at the last judgment. Lorraine, glad to have you here on the program. Uh, Father, let's talk with Renata, who is calling in from Salt Lake City in Utah. Renata, thanks for joining the program. Hi, thank you for having me. Father, my question for you is one that my daughter has asked me. What's the difference between um, the judgment, the personal judgment, right when you die, and the final judgment? And the question that she has been brought to me is, so what happens to the soul in purgatory or the souls in heaven? Do they go back into another judgment? Like, what does it mean and what's the difference? Good. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, a, a good question. And so first things, there's no, like, you know, appealing of the decision or, or there's no, and there's no changing of the decision. At your particular judgment, your eternal fate is sealed, right? It, it can't change. Uh, after that. So then the question is, well, then is the last judgment simply redundant? And the, and the answer is no. Uh, that's where, again, the particular judgment is, is, is me as an individual, but the last judgment, I become part of, I, I, I am part of the elect. I'm part of the great communion of saints. Uh, and, and that, at that moment also, again, my body is 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 glorified and reunited with my soul so that's the the big thing that that happens at the last judgment and so those who are in purgatory and i often joke i'm going to be the last one there i'm going to turn the lights off right uh but the purgatory will cease to exist so when we talk about the last things uh, you know, we need to talk about purgatory, but understanding that purgatory is a transitory state. It, it's not, no one lands in purgatory forever, right? That, that purgatory is a purification and a getting ready for heaven, but in the end, purgatory ceases to exist, and all those who are in purgatory, upon finishing that time of, of purgation, of purification, of transformation, will be rejoicing in heaven. Uh, and and so that's that's all part of of how God's mystery of mercy is at work. That you and I, at the moment of our death, if we are not one hundred percent transformed and one hundred percent Christ-like, it's not all or nothing, right? That, that thankfully, as long as we're in the state of grace, as long as we've we're not uh, haven't committed any mortal sins that we haven't confessed, you know that that we are are able to 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 go towards heaven, but we still may have a lot of transformation that needs to take place, and that, that's what takes place in purgatory. So thank you, Renata, helps, for Renata. your question. Yes. Uh, 
Yeah, great question. And again, uh, talking with Father Joseph Johnson here today about those four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, and taking your phone calls. And uh, we've got full phone lines right now. So if you'd like to email a question, you're welcome to do that. And our email address is innerlife at relevantradio.com. But we're going to be back with more with Father here and more of your phone calls in just a moment. You're listening to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, and joined today by Father Joseph Johnson as we talk about death and judgment and heaven and hell, the four last things. And also taking your phone calls, maybe you have a question about the judgment, about what happens after we die. Uh, How have you been able to prepare yourself for the end of your life? For that transition, crossing over that threshold into eternity. And our phone number here is 888-914-9149, Father, we've talked about death. We've talked about judgment. You brought up purgatory uh, as we were talking with Renata just a, a moment ago. Uh, purgatory, you mentioned that transitory state it's, it's not a permanent state for us as we're being purified and cleaned so that we can enter into heaven. Uh, let's talk about heaven and hell just for a moment before we go back to the phones. Um, what do we know from Scripture, from Revelation, about heaven and about hell? Well, heaven, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing that Scripture tells us, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor can the mind of man imagine what God has in store for those who love him. So, in a way, that's telling us that, that no words can ever describe what heaven is like. It's, it's beyond uh, our imagining, even. Uh, and, and so, if we begin from our own experience here, where every good thing that we've ever experienced in life is a sign of God's love for us, and you realize that we're passing from the signs of God's love to the reality, to the fullness of that love, uh, and then you realize, wow, uh, you know, I, I can't even, I can't even imagine it, uh, and, and that's true. Uh, and yet, uh, that's where our hope uh, should should come in, and it needs to be purified of of, of a certain selfishness and self indulgence, uh, because too often people talk about heaven and, oh yeah, heaven's going to be my favorite fishing hole, or heaven's going to be, you know, uh, a perfect round of golf on my favorite course, or whatever. We define heaven in terms of ourselves instead of defining heaven in terms of the presence of God. You know, and, and that's part of what that transformation is, you know, throughout our life and, and then finishing up in purgatory, is opening ourselves up so that we're not just focused on me, 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 but truly living a God-centered life. And heaven then is is where we have that God is the center of heaven. And and it's really, it's a poverty. Oh, it sounds boring. You know, sometimes you'll hear kids say that, you know, what, just sitting around with angels and saints, that's boring, you know. Uh, and that's, of course, you know, for, it's fine for kids, you know, to, to, to joke around that way and, and not get it. But for us to have a mature faith, we need to get it, that 
that this isn't boring, that, that love is the one thing that makes everything rich and wonderful and, and full of joy. And that God, who is love, inviting us into the fullness of his love means the fullness of wonder, the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace. Uh, and that's, that's what heaven is. Uh, and, and there's not a lack and not a deficiency in anything. And I'm not going to be uh, selfishly what, what's in it for me. Uh, I'm going to be centered towards the Lord and with whom I find my completion and my fulfillment. Well, and then it seems that that kind of answers the question of what hell is. It would be the opposite of that. I, you know, there, there's that common question: How could a loving God ever send anyone to a place of eternal torment or punishment? But in reality, then it's not God sending us as much as He's just giving us what we want. We didn't want to be with Him. He's not going to force us to be with him in heaven if that's not what we want. So sadly, that leaves only one alternative. And if we're not going to be in the presence of that fulfilled, that complete joy and peace and love, then it's going to be the complete absence of those things. Exactly. And you had mentioned C.S. Lewis earlier in the program. And, you know, one of my favorite books by C.S. Lewis is called The Great Divorce. And it's not about marriage and divorce. It's about heaven. And, and, you know, his way of describing it and whether the souls want heaven or not. And also how he describes, you know, hell is, is this thing being separate from one another. You know, we're turned in. When I turn in on myself, I close myself off to others, God and to, to other humans, Right, and and that's what sin does, and that's what hell is. Is it being closed off from others, just turned in on myself? Uh, and so, yes, it is the opposite of heaven, and that. And often you'll find in art, it's portrayed as an opposite, you know. And and so, uh, you know, even you know, like uh, we deal with these these terrible things of the Satanists. What is their 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 worship is a black mass. It's right. It's it's an upside down crucifix. It's turning everything of the good and of the holy upside down, right? And that's that's what hell is. It's the opposite. It's an upside down uh, of of what heaven is. Again, Father Joseph Johnson, our spiritual director here on The Inner Life. Our phone number as we talk about the four last things about judgment, uh, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Uh, you can call and join the program at 888-914-9149. Got a couple minutes here to be able to take a couple more phone calls. And Father Marty is calling in from Napa, California. Marty, you're on the air with Father Johnson. Uh, yes, Um I'm kind of overwhelmed by all the rules and catechism of the Catholic faith, and it's so overwhelming to me that I'm losing hope that um, that I will go to hell because there's no way I can follow everything all the time. And the, the more I dig into it with a good friend of mine, the more I lose hope that I can't keep up with everything the catechism says and the Bible says, and I try, but it's almost... Uh, it puts me in a state of depression because I can't keep up with all of it. So, Marty, what, thank you. Know, you what do for, I do? Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that that heartfelt concern. Uh, you know, and 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 first, just to know, God wants you to be in heaven more than you want to be in heaven. All right, 
that's that's the first that's the place we start so the lord is there rooting for you he's not there wagging his finger at you why haven't you gotten further right and all these rules and all this again all of it's summarized by this love god and love your neighbor you know when you think about the commandments you know that's what love looks like if i love god i'm i'm going to put him first right if i love god i'm not going to take his name in vain if i love god i'm going to keep his day holy if I love my neighbor, I'm I'm not going to steal from them. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to kill them. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to lie to them. Do, do you see how all those commandments and, and all, it's just a matter of reflection of, of what does it mean to love one another. This is what love looks like. So I think if you focus on that, don't think about it as, okay, this rule and that rule. And that, just think, think, okay, how do these rules uh, invite me to to manifest love in my life, and I'm going to try to love, and I'm going to try to love as Christ loves, which t- means to love mercifully, right? That that when then when people wrong me, I'm going to be forgiving of them. Christ put that in the center of the Our Father. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I think it's important for for you, Marty, for me, for Josh, for all of our listeners to re- remember that part of this loving is that the number one obstacle to people growing in holiness is holding on to grudges and refusing to share mercy with others, despite the fact how merciful God is to us. So don't get overwhelmed by lots of rules and things like this. Just understand it's living a life of love, but love isn't just saying, I love you, and then doing something else. Love looks like something specific, and that's what those rules, those commandments are supposed to do, is to show you what love looks like. Does that help? Yes, thank you. Okay, Marty, and I'll be praying for you. And and reach out to your pastor and and talk with him, because sometimes we need to have someone that can can touch base with in a regular way to make sure that that we're not, you know, uh, off track, not exaggerating something. And and also, the devil tries to discourage us. The devil tries to say, who are you? Look at who the sinner you are. You're never going to get that. Don't listen to those voices. Listen to the Lord saying, I'm going to forgive you no matter what. And you just keep trying, okay? Yeah. Marty, uh, thanks so much for calling in and being honest. And I'm sure that you have so many people that will be praying for you now, too, that you can be able to uh, have that gift of hope that God gives each one of us as followers of Christ. Uh, Father, completely out of time here. The hour just flew by. Uh, maybe we can continue the conversation at some point in the future. But before we do end the hour, could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners here in the last 15 seconds? Absolutely. May Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, I trust in you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Father Johnson, uh, it's always good to talk with you. Thanks for being here. I want to say thank you to Nick Sentovich and Thomas Engesser, who helped produce the program today as well. Stay tuned. Mass is coming up next. We hope to see you back here tomorrow on The Inner Life. Uh, We're going to be talking about optimism. Uh, We had, you know, kind of the death talk today, which still points towards hope. But tomorrow we're going to be talking about optimism in the spiritual life. Hope you can join us tomorrow here on The Inner Life. Have a blessed afternoon.